0: This episode of the Ortho Bullets podcast will be a question session reviewing multiple choice questions related to DJD and Hallux Rigidus, as well as fibrous dysplasia, which are two topics that we covered this past week on the podcast. So let's get right into it. We'll start with DJD and Hallux Rigidus, and the first question reads: Hallux Rigidus can lead to which of the following? And the choices are one, everted gait; two, increased push off; three, Haglund deformity; four, transfer metatarsalgia and 5. flexor hallucis longus rupture. So with hallux rigidus, restricted dorsiflexion of the first metatarsophalangeal joint during ambulation may lead to transfer metatarsalgia, making 4. transfer metatarsalgia the correct answer to this question. In addition, the patient may have decreased push-off strength and develop an inverted gait. There is no association with flexor hallucis longus rupture or Haglund deformity of the hindfoot. Moving on to the next question, a 45-year-old man has a grade 4 hallux rigidus secondary to a turf toe sustained as a football player in high school. He is an avid golfer and plays tennis on occasion. His activities are severely limited because of pain in his great toe and non-surgical management has failed to provide relief. His goal is to be pain-free, continue with his activities, and require no further orthopedic care in the future. What is the best treatment option for this patient? And the choices are 1. Keller's excision, arthroplasty, 2. Bipolar replacement, 3. Kylectomy and debridement, 4. Great toe metatarsophalangeal joint fusion, and 5. Fasciolata interposition graft. So there has been some research about interpositional grafting, whether autologous or allograft, but there is no convincing evidence at this point that there is a better functional outcome than with a great toe MTP fusion. So the correct answer to this question is 4. Great toe metatarsophalangeal joint fusion. A Keller procedure is not indicated for a young active person. A joint replacement of the gray toe similarly has not been proven to be a reliable option for younger active people. Colectomy will not provide reliable pain relief in grade 4 arthrosis of the first MTP joint. Moving on to the next question. A 32-year-old ballet dancer has chronic early stage 2 hallux rigidus. Over the past year, she has been treated with several non-surgical options but continues to be increasingly symptomatic. She decided that she can take a 3-month hiatus in her career to deal with this problem. What is the most appropriate option? And the choices are 1. Kylectomy, debridement, and a Moberg dorsiflexion osteotomy if needed, 2. Great toe metatarsophalangeal joint fusion, 3. Keller excision arthroplasty, 4. Unipolar replacement, and 5. Bipolar replacement. So, a chylectomy and a debridement for a stage 2 hallux rigidus is still the most accepted procedure. Adding a dorsiflexion osteotomy to the proximal phalanges increases the total dorsiflexion of the MTP complex. A great toe fusion for a ballet dancer is a career ending procedure. There is no evidence in the literature that a unipolar or bipolar replacement will extend a dancer's career or that it's superior to a chylectomy. A Keller procedure is reserved for low physical demand patients. So the correct answer to this question, asking what is the most appropriate treatment option for a 32-year-old ballet dancer with chronic early stage two hallux rigidus, the answer is one, chylectomy, debridement, and a Moberg dorsiflexion osteotomy if needed. Moving on to the next question. A shoe orthotic with a Morton's extension is indicated for which of the following conditions? And the choices are one, hallux valgus, two, hallux rigidus, three, second metatarsal phalangeal joint synovitis, Four Jones fracture and five hammer toe deformity. So Morton's extension is a stiff insert with a rigid extension under the first ray. This extension is used to conservatively treat conditions such as Hallux rigidus, as it limits extension of the first MTP joint during the push-off phase of gait. The first referenced article by Sheriff et al. is a review of Hallux rigidus, including diagnosis, staging, and treatment. The second referenced article by Samarco et al. is a review of the orthotic management of different problems around the hallux, including rigidus. So the correct answer to this question asking about a Morton's extension and what it's indicated for, the answer is 2, hallux rigidus. Moving on to the next question, a 52-year-old woman who underwent chylectomy one year ago for hallux rigidus now reports continued pain in the first metatarsophalangeal joint. She did not have any incision healing problems and has not had any fevers, erythema, or drainage. Which of the following procedures will provide the best combination of pain relief and function? And the choices are one, first metatarsophalangeal arthrodesis; two, soft tissue interposition arthroplasty; three, first metatarsophalangeal total joint arthroplasty; four, first metatarsophalangeal resurfacing hemiarthroplasty; and five, proximal phalanx dorsiflexion osteotomy, otherwise known as a Moberg procedure. So all but the Moberg osteotomy are capable of providing pain relief. However, arthrodesis offers the best long-term results and restores weight-bearing and propulsion function to the first ray. So the correct answer to this question is one, first metatarsophalangeal arthrodesis. Moving on to the next question, a 70-year-old sedentary female underwent a silastic arthroplasty of the right first metatarsophalangeal joint 15 years ago. She now presents with pain, swelling, and erythema of the MTP joint. She's afebrile, blood work reveals normal ESR, CRP, and white blood cell count, and her erythema resolves with elevation. NSAIDs and activity modification have failed to provide relief. What is the best option to treat her painful toe? And the choices are 1. Steroid injection, 2. Custom molded orthosis with recessed first metatarsal molding, 3. Irrigation and debridement and IV antibiotics, 4. Revision of silastic implant and synovectomy, and five removal of implant and synovectomy. So this patient with a silastic arthroplasty has late stage synovitis from the implant. Normal laboratory values involving the white blood cell count, CRP, and ESR help rule out infection, as well as the clinical finding that the erythema mostly resolves with elevation. Kitauka et al showed that removal of the implant and synovectomy of failed silastic arthroplasties of the first metatarsophalangeal joint was an effective first-line surgical treatment. Of the 10 patients that were able to get follow-up on, 7 had excellent results, 1 had good results, 1 had fair results, and 1 did poorly. Kitauka et al showed that lateral forefoot pressures increased following implant removal, but there was no significant change in overall alignment. More recent studies and review articles such as by Way et al. have shown that implant removal and synovectomy can improve patient satisfaction after a failed arthroplasty. The decision to treat a failed arthroplasty with arthrodesis versus just implant removal depends on the functional demands of the patient and alignment of the foot. But the correct answer to this question is 5. Removal of implants and synovectomy. And moving on to the final question for this topic, A 45-year-old carpenter reports pain during terminal dorsiflexion and restricted range of motion of the great toe. An x-ray reveals mild osteoarthritis of the first metatarsophalangeal joint and a prominent dorsal osteophyte. Orthotics have failed to provide relief. What is the most appropriate intervention at this time? And the choices are 1. Chilectomy. 2. Lapidus procedure. 3. First metatarsophalangeal arthrodesis. 4. Metatarsophalangeal resurfacing and 5. Chevron osteotomy. So chylectomy, otherwise known as a first metatarsal osteotomy, for treatment of hallux rigidus, will relieve dorsal impingement that is usually the source of pain in patients with this condition. Chylectomy is recommended for mild to moderate deformity. So the correct answer to this question is 1. Chylectomy arthrodesis is the treatment of choice following failed chylectomy or where advanced degenerative changes are present such as grade 4 hallux rigidus and grade 3 where less than 50% of the metatarsal head cartilage remains at the time of surgery. Patients can also try non-operative options such as molded shoe inserts or rocker bottom shoes. And moving on to the final topic of fibrous dysplasia, the first question reads, what syndrome is characterized by polyostatic fibrous dysplasia cafe au lait spots with serrated borders, endocrine abnormalities, and unilaterality. And the choices are 1, Jaffe-Campanacci syndrome, 2, Hunter syndrome, 3, Maffucci syndrome, 4, multiple hereditary exostosis, and 5, mccune albright syndrome. So this is a description for mccune albright syndrome, making 5 the correct answer to this question jaffe campanacci syndrome is characterized by multiple non-ossifying fibromas, café au lait spots, and the absence of neurofibromas. Hunter syndrome is a mucopolysaccharidosis and lysosomal storage disease that affects all large joints with pain and decreased range of motion. Maffucci syndrome is associated with multiple hemangiomas and enchondromas. Multiple hereditary exostosis is characterized by the presence of multiple exostoses and is not associated with skin lesions or endocrine abnormalities. Moving on to the next question. A 6-year-old patient has McCune-Albright syndrome. A recent bone scan shows three hot lesions in the spine. What is the next most appropriate step in management? And the choices are 1. CT of the spine, 2. AP lateral radiographs of the spine, 3. AP radiographs of the pelvis, 4, administration of bisphosphonates, and 5, endocrine screening. So scoliosis is common in polyostatic fibrous dysplasia and occurs at the levels of the lesions. A plain radiograph of the spine is the best tool to use to assess a curve. If present, a curve may progress into adulthood. Scoliosis can be difficult to determine clinically in this disorder because the pelvis may be causing a compensatory curve secondary to deformity or limb length discrepancy. CT of the spine will determine location in the anterior or posterior elements of the lesion, but location does not correlate to the curve. Endocrinopathy also does not seem to correlate with scoliosis, and bisphosphonates remain a controversial treatment for patients with polyostatic fibrous dysplasia. So the correct answer to this question is two AP slash lateral radiographs of the spine. Moving on to the next question, A mutation in the GS-alpha protein, which is an activating G-protein that increases cyclic AMP, results in which of the following diseases? And the choices are 1, fibrous dysplasia, 2, diastrophic dysplasia, 3, cladocranial dysostosis, 4, osteogenesis imperfecta, and 5, achondroplasia. So fibrous dysplasia is caused by a mutation in the GS-alpha protein, which increases cyclic AMP. So the correct answer to this question is 1, fibrous dysplasia. Weinstein discusses how fibrous dysplasia and McCune-Albright syndrome result from somatic mutations occurring during early development, resulting in a widespread mosaic of normal and mutant bearing cells, which predicts that the clinical presentation of each patient is determined by the extent and distribution of abnormal cells. These mutations encode constitutively active forms of GS alpha the ubiquitously expressed G-protein-alpha subunit that couples hormone receptors to intracellular cyclic AMP generation. These mutations lead to substitution of amino acid residues that are critical for the intrinsic GTPase activity that is normally required to deactivate the G-protein. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 2 is incorrect as diastrophic dysplasia is caused by mutation in the DTD gene which leads to a defect in the sulfate transport protein. Answer 3 is incorrect as cladocranial dysostosis is caused by a mutation in the CBFA1 gene, which leads to a defect in intramembranous ossification. Answer 4 is incorrect as osteogenesis imperfecta is caused by a mutation in the collagen 1A1 and collagen 1A2 genes, which lead to a defect in type 1 collagen. And answer 5 is incorrect as achondroplasia is caused by a mutation in the FGFR3 gene that leads to abnormal chondroid production by chondroblasts. And the final question for this review session. All of the following are characteristic of McCune-Albright syndrome except, and the choices are 1. Caused by a mutation in the GS-alpha subunit, 2. Café au spots, 3. Polyostatic fibrous dysplasia, 4. Multiple neurofibromas, and 5. Precocious puberty. So neurofibromas are seen in neurofibromatosis and not associated with McCoon-Albright syndrome, making four multiple neurofibromas the correct answer to this except question. To quickly review, mccune albright syndrome is a condition characterized by one, precocious puberty secondary to endocrine abnormalities, two, cafe au lait spots, and three, polyostatic fibrous dysplasia. Fibrous dysplasia is caused by a mutation in the alpha subunit of stimulatory G-protein and leads to activation of C-fos and other proto-oncogenes. DiCaprio et al. reviewed the pathophysiology, evaluation, and treatment of fibrous dysplasia. As mentioned, fibrous dysplasia is caused by an activating mutation of the GS-alpha gene. While most lesions are asymptomatic and found incidentally, symptomatic lesions are best initially managed with medical therapy like bisphosphonates. Patients who fail medical management may require surgical intervention with the use of cortical grafts to augment the structural properties of the involved bone. Parikh et al. review the molecular biology, presentation, and treatment of patients with fibrous dysplasia. As discussed, the GS-alpha mutation causes activation of multiple oncogenes, causing a neoplastic proliferation of fibrous tissue in the bone. The overall prognosis of patients with fibrous dysplasia, even symptomatic lesions, is excellent as medical management successfully treats most symptomatic lesions. As the risk of malignant transformation is low, even symptomatic lesions can be treated conservatively. That's all for this question review session about DJD and Hallux Rigidus as well as fibrous dysplasia. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.